Today we have the convergence of two moments in the Christian year, both Epiphany from, ja from January 6th and today celebrating the baptism of the Lord. Our scripture today, coming from the book of Luke, tells the story of Jesus' baptism. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of this holy word. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler, who had been rebuked by John because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them by shutting John up in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven came saying, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts, our ears, our minds, our whole selves to the word you are speaking to us this day, even Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. About 20 years ago, when I was a doctoral student getting a doctorate in preaching, I got to teach preaching courses at Princeton Seminary as part of my own education. And every year, students in that class had to preach a sermon on John the Baptist. But you know the passage. It's the one where John the Baptist is out in the desert yelling out accusatory statements like, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath that is to come. And each and every sermon that students preached, instead of being about what God was up to at the turn of the ages, was about how we have to be better people. Treat others fairly, do your work with integrity, act with equity. And I'm sure I preached the same sermon when I was a student. John's message seems so straightforward. Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Now you tax collectors, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. You soldiers, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be satisfied with your wages. Now that's all well and good. We really need to be better people. But you see, the passage isn't really about us, I'd tell students. At least not at first. 
you've missed the point. The passage is about what God is up to, what God is doing in the world. And students would just sit there and blankly stare at me. Don't you see? You, you turned all of this too quickly to us. You skipped past the key part of this. It's about God. You see, when we make a scripture passage all about us, we miss the point that scripture is first and foremost about God. At some point in each and every sermon, preachers do need to turn to us and say, this passage matters to us. This is what you should do in light of what God is doing and what God's claim on your life is. All well and good. And we shouldn't skip past hearing about what God is up to. With John the Baptist, it starts with the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, saying, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You see, preaching is first and foremost about God. Preaching is potentially a moment in which God, when and where we are encountered by God, we too are out in that desert wilderness, like John. And perhaps the word of God comes to us and says, people, people get ready. Get ready for what I am doing. See, I am doing a new thing. The turn of the ages has come. Prepare the way for the Lord's anointed. Now, secondly, after establishing that Christian preaching is indeed about God, preaching is also about Jesus. And wouldn't you know it, just as John is out there in the wilderness proclaiming God's kingdom coming near, who is it that shows up? Jesus. Of course it is. It's always Jesus. And what students in preaching class missed about this passage is that John the Baptist isn't the central figure. He stands on the edge of two worlds. And as he is encountered by God's word and proclaims that word, he does so at the turning of the ages, a moment when an, another one is stepping onto the world stage. Christian, or scripture says, in the fullness of time. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those held captive under the law. At the turning of the ages, Jesus comes. Now we just spent a whole season, the season of Advent, talking about Jesus coming into the world, and now, he here, now he's here. He appears, and that's what the word epiphany means, appearing. And I hope you heard that we talk about the star at Epiphany too. And if you heard on the organ, those chiming bells, that's the Zimbelstern. That's the star singing about Jesus coming. Just a little note for you all. Okay, here we go. Jesus appears. It's Epiphany. And what's the first thing that he does? Well, he doesn't say, step aside, John. I've got this now. And then start telling people to repent. The first thing that Jesus does is get baptized. It happens to him. 
Yet it's not something that he alone does. God is there too, ripping open the heavens and sending down the spirit like a dove. And what's clear is that Jesus gets baptized. But we're not sure why. Clearly God must be up to something. But the gospel writers don't explain everything to us. They each tell the story in a slightly different way, mostly because Jesus being baptized by John just doesn't seem to fit the picture. People are baptized to wash away their sins, right? Did Jesus have sins to be washed away? The gospel writers aren't much help in telling us why Jesus is baptized. They simply report the event. Here it comes from Mark. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice from heaven came, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Very straightforward. No nonsense, Mark. Just the facts, no interpretation. Then from Matthew, we get a little more of the story. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Now John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, you've heard the story, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven saying, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. From Luke, now we heard this earlier, we're not sure exactly what happens. It simply says that John was out in the wilderness, wilderness baptizing and after Jesus was baptized, he was praying and the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Now, is Luke a little bit uncomfortable coming right out and saying that John baptized Jesus? Well, go step one further into the Gospel of John, who skips the event altogether. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one... This is he of whom I have said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Just skips right by the baptism. Two Gospels tell us directly that Jesus was baptized, one of those with a little bit of discomfort with it, one gospel writer tells us that Jesus was baptized but leaves it to our imagination who did it. And the fourth gospel writer just leaves it out, puzzling. And what I love about the baptism of Jesus is that it can't be easily explained. The closest we get is from Matthew who says it must be done to fulfill all righteousness. We're, not just, told, we're just not told exactly what this means either. And what any preacher must be careful not to do is saying, well, Jesus got baptized, therefore you all need to get baptized too. That's too quick a turn towards us because God is up to something. We just get to revel in what God is up to at the turn of the ages. Something new is happening. Something old is being fulfilled. This is faith in a new key. An old melody is still playing, but it is changed. And God is creating, improvising even on something new. 
What we know is that Jesus' baptism is a major event, and it is the turning point in Jesus' ministry and in history. Why? What's common to all four stories? The Spirit. The Spirit of God. What we do hear about in all four Gospels is that the Spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove and a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved. And then Jesus ascends the throne right away. He ascends the throne of glory and rules for eternity. No. Wait, that's not what happens. Let's check the text here. Let's see. Um, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, it says that immediately Jesus goes out into the wilderness, led by the same spirit, to fast and pray and to be tempted by the devil. Wait. What? That doesn't seem like that that's what should happen. We've just had the big reveal, epiphany, God has appeared in human form. Cue the hallelujah chorus. Nope. <sighs> Before we ever say too much about how this text is about us or about that amazing thing that God is doing and Jesus is revealed, we just need to spend a little time appreciating that this story is about what God is up to. Revel in the revelation. Marvel in the marvelation of it all. What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul. What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of life to lay aside his crown for my soul for my soul. Jesus at his baptism did not take up the mantle of the Spirit as if it had beloved Son on, with large letters printed on it like a cape. He didn't take up the crown of his ancestor David as God's anointed king. No, he laid it all aside. As he lay, equal, as he lay, aside equal, as his, as he lay his equality with God aside, coming to be in human likeness, to live among us, to walk this lonesome valley. Isn't it a marvel to hear that the king of glory is being baptized in a backwater by water, off the beaten path, led down the path of sorrows as a bondsman of the breath of God, to face the greatest of human trials. What wondrous love is this? Well, we're, we're not even in Lent yet, so let's not get too far ahead of the story. The ongoing path of Jesus' life is shaped by this cornerstone event, his baptism and the pouring out of God's Spirit. This is the same Spirit of whom Jesus speaks after his 40 days in the desert when in the synagogue, back in his hometown, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me, he has Christed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, to recover the sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' life and ministry with us human beings here in this lonesome valley is shaped, propelled, sustained, inspired, that is, inspirited with his baptism. Now, baptism begins with the letter B. We are at point B on Jesus' journey of faith. How do we get to point C? If you look at the title of the sermon, I haven't forgotten. I'm going to decode it for you. Here we go. Well, to get to point C, 
We must spend a lifetime reading about Jesus' ministry and his teaching and his healing. But for now, we need to be transported to another pivotal moment in Jesus' life, the last 24 hours of his life. Specifically, the moment when he shares a final meal with his beloved friends and closest companions. When Jesus shares this final meal, he does something quite unusual, quite memorable. And we can only get to this point in the story because we began with baptism. Remember, Jesus takes well-tried, righteous symbols and by the Spirit breathes new life into them. He takes bread and wine and he gives thanks and blesses them and breaks the bread and pours the wine and shares them. And along the way, he renames the old way and sets this meal on a new path, his path of faith. Now, we're not told exactly how it all works, but the bread and the wine are Jesus himself. He is with us in the sharing, and the sharing reflects Jesus' giving of his life. Now, because of baptism, we can arrive at communion. We've gone from B to C in Jesus' life. What wondrous love is this? that Jesus would share his very life with us. God is amazing and marvelous. We've spoken of God and Jesus in our preaching moment, and it is only fair then to turn to the human being. What is this moment for us? Now, I could tell you all about how this morning at confirmation class, an hour before our worship, the assigned topic for the day was the sacraments, baptism and communion. Just by luck, I think, or so, these are the things that Jesus has told us to do, baptize and to commune with one another, and to do these things in Jesus' name and in his remembrance, and that the heart of our tradition is a B and a C, and the first is necessary to move to the second, all done decently and in order. That was supposed to be funny. Thank you for laughing. Wes, okay. <laughs> what I love about our scripture stories is that they're a little messier than all our neatness. What we know about Jesus' baptism and his communion with his disciples is that these events happened. And there's a whole lot of messy story in between point baptism and point communion. The common element here, though, is God, of course, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is what makes Jesus' baptism what it is. The Spirit is what makes Jesus taking old symbols and breaking and breathing new life into them. And so now it's our turn. Simply said, the Spirit is active in our baptisms and in our communion. The Spirit makes it what it is without explanation, and the Spirit leads us through this life with Jesus' wondrous love. We get from point B to point C. We get from point A to point Z, from point alpha to point omega, the beginning and the end. This is our journey of faith. Come, sustaining spirit, and fill our lives anew. Amen.